Good morning, True Life. It's great to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Um, If you came into the building later or if you are just arriving online, want to welcome you and say thank you for being here with us. Uh, My name is Philip Lyons. I'm the Connections Pastor. If you didn't, if you got in late or whatever and didn't hear the announcement, I I trust that you'll be praying for Robin and for Jimmy, our teaching pastor, as she is in the hospital now with uh, uh, some infection that they're treating with antibiotics. So, uh, we just trust the Lord will help help and heal her. Amen. Amen. So glad to see you, and uh, uh, I want to say thank you to Preston for those very kind words, especially what is said about uh, our children. And uh, I have no greater joy than to hear that my ch- children are walking in truth. Uh, amen. And so I and 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 I I just want to say that. Uh, what you said, I attribute mostly to their mom, my wife, uh, Mother Teresa, <laughs> uh, and I just thank God for her. Thank God for our, our children. Thank God for our family here at True Life. Amen? And uh, so glad to see you. So today, we're starting a new sermon series, and we are, in fact, still in Ephesians. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we started this, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't remember how long ago it was, you know, when Jimmy started through Ephesians. We took a, a break or two, but uh, we're coming back now uh, to Ephesians, and this sermon series is called The Fight of Your Life. Today, we're talking about strength for the fight, and uh, just thank the Lord for the wonderful worship that we had this morning, Amen. In Christ, to be in Christ, so powerful, what we have in Christ. So we'll be looking at Ephesians 6 today, verses 10 through 18, and uh, we're talking about, you know, strength for the fight. This is that passage that deals with the whole armor of God Sun Tzu said in the art of war, every battle is won or lost before it is fought. A recent National Geographic article told about the Alaskan bull moose. The males of the species battle for dominance during the fall breeding season, literally going head to head, you know, with antlers crunching uh, uh, against each other together as they collide. Often the antlers, their only weapon, are broken, and uh, that would ensure that moose's defeat. The heftiest moose with the largest and strongest antlers, the the most mass, is, is the winner. You know, it's that one that triumphs. Therefore, the battle fought in the fall is really won during the summer when the moose eat Continually, the one that consumes the best diet for growing antlers and gaining weight will be the heavyweight in the fight. Those that eat inadequately sport weaker antlers and less bulk and are sure to lose. There's a lesson here for us, right? Spiritual battles await. Satan will choose a season to attack. We will be victorious, victorious, or we will fall. Will we be victorious or will we fall? Much depends on what we do now before we face the battle. See, the bull moose principle is that enduring faith, strength, and wisdom for trials are best developed before they're needed. Armies know this principle, right? And train their men accordingly. Boxers know this principle. And they train rigorously their bodies 
so that they fight like it depends on, you know, that, that their lives depends on it. Tony Evans, you know, great preacher. I, I love to hear Tony Evans preach, and, and, and uh, I wish I could mimic his voice. You know, he says, everything physical and visible, visible, you know. I wish I could do that just right. But this is what he said about this. He said, everything physical and visible is preceded by that which is invisible and spiritual. So if we want to address the physical and visible, we must first identify the cause which is invisible and spiritual. Therefore, if all we see is what we see, then we are not seeing all there is to be seen. The word heavenly places means the spiritual realm. Whatever is going on in your world, your life, is rooted first in the spiritual realm, the heavenly places. If you don't know how to navigate that realm, then you can't fix this realm. Spiritual warfare can simply be defined as the conflict in the invisible realm that affects what is going on in the visible realm. It is the battle in the unseen that is responsible for the battle in the seen. So the main idea today, folks, is that we need to be strong in the Lord so that we can stand victoriously against Satan's attacks. So let's read the scripture together. And by the way, before I, before I go any further, I probably ought to say, especially after the, the, the kind words that, that, that Preston was giving earlier, that this is a team effort. I told Roger earlier today, uh, you know, uh, Pastor, we, we found out yesterday that Pastor Jimmy was not going to be able to be here, but he was ready to preach. He had done the preparation. He had done the heavy lifting. I'm using his outline. I'm using his illustrations that he had already prepared. So this is a team effort, okay? Uh, I just get to be the mailman today, all right? So let, let's read the scripture today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole army of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." Now, as we go through this, I want us to pay attention to, to four truths uh, that we find in this passage. All right, so truth number one, we are in a spiritual fight, right? I mean, we need to stay prepared. You got to get ready. Uh, you, you must be ready. We must not be Pearl Harbor in our preparation. Pearl Harbor was a terrible defeat for the U.S. simply because we were not ready. We were caught off guard because we were not expecting an attack so close to home. The Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor crippled or destroyed nearly 20 American ships and more than 300 
airplanes. Dry docks and airfields were likewise destroyed. Most important, 2,403 sailors, soldiers, and civilians were killed, and about 1,000 others were wounded. There is a fight behind the fight, or if, you're, if you will, a fight before the fight. We've got to be We've got to fight to get ready. Are you ready for the fight? You see, there there is a spiritual problem behind our material problems. Listen, this is a battleground. This is not a playground. We must have wartime mentality. We are at war, and when you're in war, you do things that are abnormal. You make provisions. You you make sacrifices. You do whatever it takes to be ready for that battle. Satan is in it for keeps. He hates you and me, and he hates our commander-in-chief, and he is going to fight dirty, Fight daily, fight deceitfully, and fight lethally until it's all over. Do you understand that this is a fight? We are in a war. We are at war, folks. It starts here in our heads and in our hearts. It starts with the fight before the fight. Are you ready for the fight? Well, second truth here that we see is that we are commanded to stand in the fight. And I I remember as a young Christian uh, sort of being confused about this. You know, we're we're talking about going to war. We're talking talking about fighting. We're talking about you know, putting on the whole armor of God. And then then you're just saying for me to stand there? You know, but but you got to take it in context that this, you know, this stand is a military stand, right? We've got to take our stand defensively and offensively. This is a an offensive and defensive stance, military stance that he's talking about. It, it would be cruel to tell a crippled person to stand. Right? But it's also cruel to tell someone that they can't do something that they really can do. You see, what we're talking about here is based on faith, not feelings. It's based on position, not performance. And it's based on the victory that Jesus has already won. The work is already done. The victory is won. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to his name. You know, we live in an evil day, but we will face more attacks on some days than on other days. Right? Our orders, though, stay the same. We are to stand. And after all... Who's the winner of the fight? It's the guy that's still standing, right? Our orders are the same, to to stay in the fight, to stand. Keep standing, keep resisting. It is an offensive and defensive posture that you see here. At at the, you know, I love uh, the Gettysburg films, and, uh, and really what it, what it depicted uh, was terrible but memorable. At the Battle, Battle of Gettysburg, the 20th Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment on Little Round Top, commanded by Colonel Lawrence Chamberlain, you know, he, they fought its most famous engagement, culminating in a dramatic downhill bayonet charge. 
This colonel and his men refused to be flanked by the Confederates that were trying to come around and overrun them. They stood their ground, and then they took command of the field. That's what this means. That's what this stand is talking about. But I want us to understand the next truth, number three. We can only stand through God's strength. Right? You can't do it yourself. You've got to have the strength of the Lord. It is in Christ. When 82-year-old Willie Murphy heard the sound of an intruder breaking into her home, she felt bad, bad for the intruder, that is. Murphy said to reporters, he picked the wrong house to break into. (laughs) That's because Murphy was already a critically acclaimed bodybuilder. 82 years old, guys. Having won the the World Natural Powerlifting Upstate New York Championship in 2018. After calling the police, Murphy used the darkness to lie and wait for the assailant. Then when the moment was right, she struck with all the strength and agility she could muster. Murphy said, I picked up the table and I went to work on him. (laughs) After breaking the table, Murphy briefly poured a bottle of shampoo on his face before continuing to wail on him with a broom handle. The police who responded were so impressed, said Murphy, that they wanted to go on my front porch and, and, and take selfies with me. I really did a number on that man, she said. She fought with the strength that she had, right? She was prepared. Folks, if you're not in a spiritual battle You might need to check yourself. You might be on Satan's side. I mean, if you're not running into Satan from time to time and going head to head with him, you might need to check and make sure you're going the right way. You might be on the wrong side of things. Listen, we fight from victory, not for victory. Remember Tony Evans' quote, it is the battle in the unseen that is responsible for the battle in the seen. We are letting some spiritual realm into our lives, either heaven or hell. Which one are you letting in? Listen, God's commands always include his enabling power. No matter what the the commands are or what you're battling with, maybe overcoming addictions, drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, whatever it may be, treating your spouse and your children like God commanded you, opening your mouth to share a witness, a testimony, and making disciples... Whatever it is, those things that Christ commanded us, he also enables us by the power of his Holy Spirit in us. Watchman Nee wrote, sit, walk, stand. It's been quoted from this pulpit before. You know, Watchman Nee, a wonderful man of God, pastor, Chinese pastor, Uh, and writer wrote this treatment of Ephesians called sit, walk, stand. You know, first of all, sit. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's that spiritual realm in Christ Jesus. That's chapter 2, verse 6. And then, you know, that, that's, our, that's our position. This is our identity. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, that's who we are. 
We're seated with him in the heavenlies. Amen? It's not our performance. It's our position in Christ that matters. It's not what we can do. It's what he has done and who he is. Amen? But then secondly, uh, you know, sit, walk. In, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And it, and it continues to talk about our walk through all the way through chapter 5. Sit, walk. It, it, our walk has to do with how we live our lives, carrying out the will and word of God in a way that brings him honor and glory, that brings, brings him pleasure. That's our walk. But then, then we come to chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, to be strong in the Lord. You know, we, this is our stand. To be strong in the Lord and, and to put on the whole armor of God so that, in other words, the purpose, so that you may be able to stand. And this is our stand. The battle is the Lord's. Amen? It's not our battle, but he calls us to himself, and we have an enemy. Satan hates Christ. He hates God. He hates us because we're in it with the Lord. Because we are in Christ. The battle's the Lord and we stand in his strength. Watchman Nee summarized his book in this way. He said, the Christian life consists of sitting with Christ, walking by him, and standing in him. We begin our spiritual life by resting and let me pause and say that this resting is not passive. It's active. We, we rest in Christ by trusting in him who he is and what he's done for our salvation. The work is finished. Amen. We rest in the finished work of Christ. So resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus, that rest is the source of our strength or a consistent and unfaltering walk in the world. And at the end of the grueling warfare with the host of darkness, we are found standing with him at last in triumphant possession of the field. Listen, when we, when we try to stand in our strength, we are playing into the devil's hand. I hate it when I do that. Don't you? When I think or try to, to, to do something in my own strength. Listen, when, when, you, when you do that, as soon as you think you can do it in your own strength, you're finished. I mean, you're finished before you even start. You cannot count on your own strength, your own wisdom, your own uh, abilities. Our strength is from being in union with Christ. Clinton Arnold writes of the phrase, be strong. That it is passive, so it refers to strength outside of us. Nevertheless, because it is imperative, it is a command, it does imply volition and action on the part of the hearers to seek God and present themselves to him for filling with his power. In the Lord clarifies that believers need to draw on divine power. Now think about it. You know, he says that we are seated with him in, in Christ, who is in the heavenlies. You know, we talked about this already back when uh, our teaching pastor, Jimmy, began this series uh, in Ephesians, this study through Ephesians. We looked at it in chapter 1. 
But let's look back at Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Folks, we are blessed. Blessed beyond measure. We are seated with Christ in him, in position, in spirit, in Christ, in the heavenlies. Everything that is his also is ours because we are in Christ. Blessed. You know, that, that, that's a good place if you're a shouting Baptist to just have a shouting fit. Amen? We are blessed in Christ. Our, our minds cannot even fathom that blessing. That's our identity. That's who we are. Hallelujah. In Christ. But then also we have these blessings in the heavenlies because Jesus is there and we are in him. Look at it in, in chapter five of 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge that that is experiential intimacy in Christ, in him. Or of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above. Have you had enough superlatives yet? Wow. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Hallelujah. I, I, I can't help but get excited about that. I think Paul, you know, was excited about it when he was writing it. I mean, you just see it gushing out of him, right? That's who we are, folks, in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But then also we are demonstrating the plan of God to the principalities and powers. Look at it in, in chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. He said, to me, though I'm, very, I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Those riches of Christ, that's what we're blessed with. Amen. Unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Make note of that. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. E.F. Scott has provided a helpful and eloquent explanation of the drama of God's unfolding plan of salvation as a display of his wisdom referring to this portion of Scripture that we just read. He said, The hostile powers had sought to frustrate the work of God and believed that they had succeeded when they conspired against Christ and brought about His crucifixion. 
Uh, but unwittingly, they had been mere instruments in God's hands. The death of Christ had been the very means he had devised for the accomplishment of his plan. So it is here declared that the hospital powers, after their brief apparent triumph, had now become aware of a divine wisdom that they had never dreamed of. They saw the church arising as the result of Christ's death and giving effect to what they could now perceive to have been the hidden purpose of God. I love it when God does that. Don't you? Trained firefighters know that in dire circumstances, people can and should get into a burned out area in order to stay protected. You know, if it's burned out, the fire can't get you there. In fact, controlled burning is one of their strategies, right? Listen, Satan is hurling his fiery darts at us with all of his fury. But Jesus has already quenched all the fiery darts by taking our place on the cross. He's already taken the heat. He's already burned out the safe place with his own blood. He himself is our hiding place. That's our position. That's our identity. That's our privilege. Hallelujah. But look with me at, at the fourth truth here. We stand in his strength by putting on the armor of God. This is the practical, practical part of this, right? This is how we appropriate God's strength. Romans chapter 13, verse 12, and, and, and through that passage, 12 to 14, uh, I, I really see this as, as a parallel passage to what we're seeing here in Ephesians chapter 6, the whole armor of God. Listen to what he says, Paul speaking again to, uh, you know, the Romans, and he says to them in verse 12, chapter 13, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. This is the same armor that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6. But notice what he says two verses later in verse 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So you see, brothers and sisters in Christ, that when you die to self daily, and when you take up your cross to follow Jesus Christ and, to submit, and submit to him to be conformed to his image, you're putting on Christ. And at the same time, when you put on Christ, you're putting on the whole armor of God so that when you have Christ on you, you're clothed in him. You've got all your need, you need to be protected, right? Christ is all and he's in all. He is the answer. He's the source of everything. He is the armor. Amen? And so as we reckon ourselves to be dead in our trespasses and sins, once we're dead, but now alive in Christ, as we confess and agree with God that we are baptized with him by baptism into death, but like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, are, we, we should walk in newness of life in him. Then we have Christ. We are in Christ and we are clothed in him. And now by putting on Christ daily, you're putting on the armor of God. 
Well, let me ask you this question, though. Where are we giving the devil an opening by not putting on the armor of God? Do you have chinks, so to speak, in your armor because you refuse to surrender that part of your life to Christ? Army News Service in in July of 2007 gave this news from Iraq. Soldiers are volunteering dramatic personal accounts of lives saved and injuries avoided thanks to the Army's body armor. Their firsthand accounts of what happens demonstrate confidence in what the Army is doing to protect them. Interceptor body armor is a modular system that features an outer tactical vest with hard protective plates. SPC Specialist Gregory T. Miller, 101st Airborne Division, told Congress at a hearing last month that his body armor saved his life while he was on patrol in Kirkuk in preparation for Iraqi elections in December 2005. He was hit in the back by a sniper with what was supposed to be an armor-piercing round. Specialist Miller, who wound up with a bruised back, said he didn't even realize he had been hit at first. It all seemed to happen in slow motion, he said. The water bottle he was holding flew out of his hand. He thought his team leader had hit him on the back hard. When he realized he'd been hit, he checked himself, and then he turned to return fire. When the round was pulled from his armor back plate, ballistics test identified it as a 7.62 armor piercing round. He said, I trust my gear, he told the congressional panel. When asked why, he replied, replied, matter of factly, it saved my life. But now notice this. However, a British report revealed a lack of proper equipment. In part, it said the kit shortages of, of lack of, of equipment proved fatal. Sergeant Stephen Roberts of Shipley, West York, was killed after giving up his enhanced body armor because of shortages four days before his death. His widow, Samantha Roberts, later released an audio diary of which, in which her husband had called supplies to soldiers a joke. And a coroner said six soldiers of the Royal Military Police killed by a mob at a police station in Iraq should have been better equipped. The father of Lieutenant Corporal Tom Key said their deaths had been caused by negligence. Do you see the contrast? One man was prepared. He was fully armed. The other was not. Now, moving toward a closing, um, let's talk a little bit about the armor of God. And this, this is really sort of an introduction to the series that we're in. And Jimmy will come back and he'll, he'll break it down and, and focus on the details. But, um, Look at it in verses 13 through 17. What is the armor of God? We are, A, to gird our waists, that is, put on the belt of truth. That's, that's just talking about knowing and living and, and, and speaking the, the, the truth, being obedient to the truth. B, put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, Jesus gives us His justifying righteousness at salvation. And then we are to live righteous lives through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we have the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We have that power. Not because of our performance, but because of his grace. And we are to live in that power. C, put on the preparation of the gospel of peace on our feet. Romans 10, 15, and how shall they 
preach unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. We are to stand firm in the fact that we are at peace with God and be prepared to share the gospel of peace with others that need to hear. D, we're to take the shield of faith. You know, we, we are to trust God to take him at his word and act on it. That's what faith is. Taking God at his word, trusting God and acting on it, being obedient to what he has said. E, we're to put on the helmet of salvation. You know, Satan attacks our minds, but we can live with the assurance of our salvation and in our new identity as a child of God, right? I mean, we've talked about this in the past that uh, it's been preached here from this pulpit that, you know, just because we are uh, tempted doesn't mean we have to fall to that temptation. We're all tempted, right? The temptation itself is not the sin. That thought comes into your head. That doesn't mean that you have to act on that. It doesn't mean that you have to say that. It doesn't mean that you have to uh, react in that way to that thought. We have the power of Christ. We're to put on the helmet of salvation to protect us from those onslaughts of the, of the devil. And then F, to take the sword of the spirit. This is the word of God, which is our offensive weapon in the fight that we can use against Satan. That's exactly what Jesus did, right? In the wilderness, when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and then afterwards was tempted three times, the devil tempted him, twisted the word. But Jesus you could, you could hear the unsheathing of the sword of, of the Spirit when Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written, yeah. and sent Satan on his way. That's what we're called to do, the sword of the Spirit. When we clothe ourselves in Christ, we have the whole armor of God. Listen, God provides the armor, but we have to put it on. I guess high school football, Shane, was the closest I ever got to military battle. You know, they, they would issue your pads, helmet, shoulder pads, all, all the rest of it, but they didn't come to put it on you, right? You got to suit up. We've got to take what God has given us and by faith, appropriate what he's given us to fight in this fight and to stand. So, application. You know, what's this all about? What do I do with this? We need to know and claim God's word by faith. We need to spend time with God in prayer, worship, and the word of God. We need to confess and repent of sin. Be filled with the Spirit and abide in Christ. Claim our position in Christ. Fight from the victory that Christ has already won. We fight from victory, not for it. It's not up to us. We trust in Him. Our position, our identity, our place, our privilege is in Him. It's our blessing. Amen? He's everything we need. So in conclusion, John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it, what? More abundantly. Yes, God has a plan. He has a will for you. But you know, Satan does too. His will is to steal, kill, and destroy.
So in closing, let me ask you today, are you in Christ? If you don't know Jesus Christ today, if I were you with all frankness and with all the love in my heart, I would not leave this place today without being in Christ. Having this knowledge of what our enemy is up to. You, you know, you, people go to all kinds of things. They do all kinds of things to try to make themselves okay, to try to make them, make them protect themselves, try to be safe. Let me, let me give you a theological truth. Jesus saves. He is the one and only who can save us. So if you don't know Christ, I, I, I would just encourage you with all the love of the Lord in my heart, don't leave today without coming to Christ. If you've you got questions, you've got doubts, you've got concerns about it, come talk to us. You know someone that knows the Word of God and is in Christ, talk to them. I'd be happy to talk to you here or wherever but talk to someone. Get it settled. If you're in Christ, but maybe you're away from him, maybe, maybe you know that you are in Christ, you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that you belong to him and that he is your Lord and Savior, but you have not been putting Christ on. You've not been putting the armor of God on. And so you've made yourself a vulnerable to the ways of Satan and the ways of the world and the way of sin. You know you've walked away from Christ. You know what you need to do today. You need to come back to Christ. You need to repent. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to have a, a time of altar call. And uh, Jeremiah and Molly are coming to, to, to sing another song, to sing the song that they sang earlier. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, could I encourage you to, to trust Jesus now? Come to Jesus now. Give him your life. You say, Pastor Philip, I... I I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is the son of God and that he died on the cross to save me from my sins. I, I believe that if I cry out to him in prayer that he will come and save me. You can do that today. You can do that right now upon the authority of God's holy word. Today is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. It's a good, good time. It's a great time for you to trust Jesus Christ this morning. You can come to the altar right now. Or maybe you're saying, Pastor Philip, I believe that, but I just need help praying that prayer. Well, it's not just a prayer that you pray. It's a submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's giving your life to him and putting your faith and trust in him and him alone to take away your sin, to make you at peace with God, and to give you a relationship with himself that lasts forever. I can help you in a prayer. It's just words to me because I've already cried out to him. I've already called upon his name for salvation. But if you'll do that right now in your heart, you can pray your own prayer. Or if you need help, you can pray something like this. Put it in your own words and, and cry out to God and say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know and realize that I cannot save myself. By my religion, my, my religion, my religiosity, my good works, or nothing else. I can't save myself. Lord, I realize that only you can save me. And I believe you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. 
and that you died on the cross to take away all my sin and give me peace with God. So I give my life to you right now. I surrender to you. Come and take over my life. By your grace and with your help, with the power of your spirit, I'll live the rest of my days following you. I love you, Jesus. If you, if you prayed that prayer, could I encourage you just to go ahead and thank him? You know, thankfulness is an indication of true faith because we won't thank him if we don't really believe that he's already saved us. But if you believe his word and his truth and his promise, if you've given your life to Jesus, then go ahead and thank him for it. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I praise you for who you are and what you've done. Now, you also need to tell somebody. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father, which is in heaven. You need to tell somebody. Come tell me or tell a trusted uh, believer in Christ and, and, and get help. You need to know, you know, what's, what are the next steps in following Christ? We want to help you. We want to pray for you and pray with you. So tell someone. Come tell someone. And then thirdly, if you, if you are away from Christ or you have some other need on your heart that you need to bring to the altar, this altar is open. We're going to have this song. If you need someone to pray with you, pray for you, would you come to your right side of the altar? If you want to pray alone, would you come to your left side of this altar? And we'll give you that time and space. But if God has spoken to you and you need to do something in response, the altar is open. We're here. We'd be glad to talk to you. As we stand and sing, let's obey the Lord.